Well, it's good to see each of you this evening. <clears throat> and before I get started in the lesson, let me just mention Brother Drew is not going to be with us Wednesday night. And he has asked me to fill in for him. And uh, I plan to talk about the great flood, the flood of Noah's day. Gen read Genesis 6 through 9, chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9 in preparation for that. And we'll talk about that in the Bible lesson on Wednesday evening. <clears throat> Tonight I want to talk to you about the Bible, the theme. What's the central theme of the entire Bible? In this, we talk about what the Bible is about, and we also will see the unity of the Bible from beginning to the end. There is a great unity in the Bible, the Word of God. So, the New Testament, the Old Testament, of course, gives us the prophecies and the promises that were to be fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The New Testament, of course, gives us the fulfillments and looks back upon also the accomplishments that were brought about through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter, the first chapter, 1 Peter, the first chapter, verses 3, 4, and 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. So the Old Testament looked forward to these things that would be accomplished in Christ Jesus. And Jesus, of course, has accomplished those things that were promised and has brought about this great plan that God had from eternity. The Bible affirms the existence of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the psalmist said, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God has always existed. He is eternal from both directions. And he is the creator of us, creator of the universe. He is the one who has given us this book we call the Bible. Some people think the church produced this. But the church is the result, is one of the results of this great divine revelation. God is the one, of course, who brought about this word. It's a revelation of his will. And he said in, in uh, Genesis 1 at verse 26, 
He created man. He created man, mankind in his own image. What better explanation do we have? Of man's ability, man's intelligence, and his reasoning ability. What better explanation? How are you going to explain it otherwise? There is absolutely no proof that intelligence and reasoning ability has come from matter, from just existing matter. Didn't come from rocks, didn't come from dirt. Now part of our being comes from dirt, our bodies. He created it from the dust of the earth. But God created. Let us make man in our own image, he said. And so we're made in the image of God. And that's a wonderful explanation as to why we're able to have the intelligence and the reasoning ability, the wisdom and the judgment that God has blessed us with. So, the record of the Bible is the res- one of the things, it's the record of the introduction of sin into the world. Genesis, the third chapter, well, in the second chapter, first of all, God had said to Noah, or to Adam, you can eat of all the trees of the garden except of the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge good and evil. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, in chapter 3, we have the record of Satan coming into the picture. And he asked Eve if God had said that they could not eat of all the trees. She said he told us we could eat of all the trees except one. That was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, uh, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to her, you shall not surely die. Added one three-letter word and turned what God had said upside down. But he's been, he was lied to Eve, and he's been lying ever since, and he is the father of lies. He is not for truth whatsoever. So we see in this the introduction of sin of the world. She gave to Adam, and he, evidently with his eyes wide open, she was deceived. But evidently from her influence or whatever, He decided that he would participate with her in eating of the fruit of that tree. And God appeared in the garden. And of course, that was the beginning of death. The result, death. First of all, physical death. In verse 19 of Genesis 3, God told Adam, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you turn to the ground. 
For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. He decreed death upon Adam and upon the whole human race because of what Adam did. That's the declaration of death. Paul in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verse 22, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. He's talking about physical death there and the resurrection being brought to life from physical death. Yes, another consequence of that, of course, was separation from God, spiritual separation, spiritual death. Spiritual separation from God. And that's what death is, is a separation. When, when, um, when we die physically, our spirit leaves our body and it leaves the body dead. The spirit's not dead, but the body is left dead because the spirit has departed. And uh, the separation of man from God because of sin, that is spiritual death. And in Romans, in Romans the fifth chapter at verse 12, therefore just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, for that all have sinned. That's not true with regard to physical death. Children don't die because they've sinned. But children do die physically. But they don't die spiritually. Because they have no sin until they reach an age of accountability where they understand and know and realize the difference between right and wrong and God's will. So, spiritual and physical death were brought about. Well, that brought about the need for God's plan of saving us. And all of us who reach the age of accountability then need this salvation which God planned. In the another passage in 1 Peter, I read from 1 Peter the first chapter a while ago, but a little bit later in that same chapter, 1 Peter 1 at verse 18, listen to this. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained, listen to it, before the foundation of the world. Before God created this universe and this planet earth, he already had in his mind the plan whereby he would save us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Who, though who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We can have no hope in our own doings, in our own wisdom, 
in our own way. Paul talked about many of the Israelite people of his day being ignorant of God's righteousness. They weren't ignorant that God was a righteous being. They were ignorant of how God makes us righteous. They had a misunderstanding of how that was accomplished and why there was the need for Jesus Christ to come and to do what he did for our salvation. And that plan of salvation we God tells us about even from the very time of the sin that Adam and Eve committed in the Garden of Eden. Verse 15 of Genesis 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman. God told the serpent, told Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This was the first promise given in the Old Testament scriptures of the one that God was planning to send to save us. But there are many passages in the Old Testament that deal with this. In Romans the tw- in Genesis the 12th chapter, in speaking to Abraham and telling him to leave his home country and go into the land that was that is often called the land, promised land he said i will bless those that bless you and i will curse him who curses you and in you all families of the earth will be blessed he renewed that promise to abraham in the 22nd chapter on the occasion when he commanded to take his son Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering. And Abraham went about the business of doing what God told him to do until the angel came and stayed his hand. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And verse 18 says, God said to Abraham, In your seed all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God renewed that promise to Abraham's son Isaac in Genesis the 26th chapter at verse 2. Then the Lord appeared to him and said to Isaac, that is, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I tell you, which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give your descendants, I will give to your descendants all these lands, and listen to it, and your and in your seed 
all nations of the earth shall be blessed. Not just Israel. This spiritual blessing, this spiritual promise. He promised Israel the land promise. But he promises to bless all nations through the seed of Abraham. And, of course, that was renewed also to Jacob, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. And in Genesis 28 at verse 14, behold, or verse 13, Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, that is above the ladder, and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all families of the earth shall be blessed. And so these promises were given to them. In the 35th chapter of Genesis, we're told that Jacob's name was changed to what? Israel. Jacob, the man named Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. That's where the idea of Israelites came from. They're all the descendants of Jacob, the grandson of Abraham and the son of Isaac. And God gave this great promise to all of these men. But that wasn't the end of that story. In 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel, the seventh chapter. Let me read just a brief reading here of the promise that God made to David. You remember, David is in this lineage of the Messiah, of the Christ. Verse 12 of 2 Samuel, did I say first? 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, God said to Abraham, or to David rather, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. And if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I, remo- whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, of course... David's kingdom was established in his son Solomon, but this passage involves more than that, as we'll see from a passage in a moment here from the New Testament. This involved the this involved the Christ, but there's another passage with regard to uh, to uh, David. That I want to read. This is Psalm 132 at verses 10 and 11. For your servant David's sake, do not turn away your face, the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. 
I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. And so he makes that promise. And when we go to the New Testament, in Acts the second chapter, the Apostle Peter, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, refers to this passage of Scripture, refers to this promise, calls it the promise of the Holy Spirit. In Acts the second chapter, beginning at verse 29, Men and brethren, let me, this is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, David was, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his Throne, David's throne. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell or Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God is raised up of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise that we were just reading about, that he would set one upon David's throne. He poured, out this, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he, he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ, the Messiah, the Christ, and the Lord, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. So, the New Testament now, as these passages begin to tell us, they give us the fulfillment, tell us of the fulfillment of God's plan for our salvation. Do you remember how the, how the first verse in the Bible starts out? Matthew, the first chapter, first verse, has to do with what we've been talking about already. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You think about Israelites who are really wanting to listen to God. The first time they saw those words, and they should mean so much to us also, but the first time seeing those words, here is the one that those Old Testament prophets have been telling us about all through these centuries. He is here, and he gives the record of his, of his birth in this chapter as well as in Luke, the third chapter. Matthew gives his genealogy from Abraham down to Jesus Christ. Luke gives a genealogy all the way from Jesus back to Adam. And so we have the, we have the information with regard to Jesus Christ and his position. So, Jesus came to this earth lived in the flesh, and lived a sinless life. 
He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4 at verse 15. And there are many passages. I'm not going to take the time to go into great detail, but that, that's enough. And there are other passages that emphasize that. Jesus Christ himself claimed to be without sin. Also, Jesus Christ performed miracles. Why did he perform the miracles that he did? Well, let's let, uh, let's let the Apostle John tell us the answer to that question. In John, the 20th, 20th chapter, verses 30 and 31, And truly Jesus did many other signs, miracles, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Why? that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Mark 16, verses 19 and 20, talk about why the signs would follow these men who were teaching the truth, such as the apostles and those on whom the apostles would lay hands and give them the power to speak God's word perfectly. He says it was, of course, to confirm the preaching, the teaching that they, that they did. So that was the purpose of miracles. And Jesus, of course, after living here on this earth for some 33 years, he was, of course, he was persecuted and opposed viciously many times. But he was eventually, of course, as we know, crucified put to death, not because he was a criminal, but because he did, especially one of the reasons was because, of course, it was in God's plan. God knew ahead of time. God didn't make those men do that. He didn't make the Jews or the Romans crucify Jesus, but he had the ability to know from eternity what they would do, and he made his plans Having that knowledge, he made his plans to use that to save us from our sins. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5 at verse 8, But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And there are many passages, of course, that talk about in the New Testament. That's one of the most talked about things in the New Testament, is the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Let's read a little bit at the end of the Gospel of Luke with regard to that. In Luke, the 24th chapter, beginning at verse 47, let's see what Jesus himself said about this. Beginning verse 44, Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, Jesus said, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. That would include what we've, the little bit that we've read about in the Old Testament tonight. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance 
and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And so we turn to Acts, the second chapter, the first chapter, first of all, at verse 8. And just before Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he told them, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so he said, beginning in Jerusalem, they would do the preaching in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the of the earth. And on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, each of the apostles. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Peter's sermon is recorded in this second chapter of Acts, and he preached concerning the death, burial, and resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ to heaven, and that as read a while ago that he was sitting at that moment that he was preaching, he was sitting at God's right hand in fulfillment of the promise that God had made to David that he would set the Messiah upon his David's throne. So, there he is. And the plans have been made, and now the preaching is taking place. And we read in the book of Acts, here in Acts 2, when they heard this sermon that these apostles preached, those who gladly received his word, well, first of all, they said, what shall we do? Many of them had been convicted. And he told them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, the Jewish people and to their children, and to all who are afar off, the Gentiles, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. That's an imperative. Be saved, or save yourself, as some of the versions but Save yourself from this perverse generation. Somebody says, well, I didn't think we could save ourselves. We can't save ourselves by ourselves. But God gives us the part that we must do in order to receive that salvation. If we just ignored his invitation, is he going to save us? No. It, he depends upon us to believe and obey him. And that's exactly what these people did. Who, those who gladly received his word were baptized. About 3,000 souls that day obeyed the gospel. That wasn't nearly all the folks that were there, but that, that was a pretty good beginning. And then, of course, they continued to preach. And in Acts, the 8th chapter, we have the record of Philip 
the evangelist preaching down up at, at Samaria. And they believed and were baptized, both men and women. The Ethiopian man had Philip the evangelist preach to him, preach Jesus to him. And they came to some water, and he said, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? The passage says nothing about water till you get to that point. How did he even know to ask that question? Well, evidently, Philip must have said something about it because he wanted to know why he couldn't do that. And so he said, well, if you believe, you may. And he confessed, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Philip took him down into the water and baptized him. And then, of course, you have the other records. But over and over again, the book of Acts is a book that gives us a record of the results of the preaching of the gospel that those men that Jesus sent out to preach, the results of that preaching. And they were taught, first of all, to believe in Jesus Christ and repent of their sins. When you take all those accounts together, confess their faith in Jesus Christ, and to be baptized for the remission, for the forgiveness of their sins in order to be saved. Mark 16, 15, and 16, as well as other passages. But after being saved, after first being saved, then what? Well, the Apostle Paul in Romans 6 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead with the glory of the Father, we also should be what? We also should walk in newness of life, in a new life. Well, how is that? What is that new life? The life that the Lord tells us to live. The greatest invitation given to us as we walk this earth is the invitation that Jesus gave. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why would we come to Jesus? Why do we want to have anything to do with any of this? Where do you want to spend eternity? You want to spend it in heaven? Or do you want to spend it in that terrible place of punishment called hell? Yes, the Bible clearly teaches there is such a place. I know that people want to deny They say they can't believe in a God that would send anybody to that terrible place. Well, he's not the one that really makes that choice. He gives us the choice as to where we want to spend eternity and where we're going to spend eternity. So if you need to render obedience to the gospel tonight, initially, or you need to come back to the Lord after having been unfaithful to him as a Christian, we invite you to do that very thing. Your eternal welfare depends on what you do about it. Won't you come right now as together we stand and sing? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. 
The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Just up in glory land we'll live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. Their songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Please be seated. <laughs> 